Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of The Markets Exposed and in this episode I want to talk about some statistics for last year as we're in a new year now and also just a few misconceptions as we always like to cover in the podcast. So the first one I want to talk about, you know, I'll just add this up, like back in 2016, the biggest 10 market participants being Morgan Stanley, XDX, HSBC, Goldman Sachs, Barclays, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, Deutsche Bank, UBS, JP Morgan, City. That's the top 10, and that equals 66.9% of the market share. That's what they own. But that those 10... Those, those 10 figures compared to now is actually quite interesting. So I'm going to pick five of the biggest banks of last year and add them up. So now the five biggest banks now own 40% of the market. Whereas 10 in 2016 had 66. That's massive. And one of the interesting things that I need to look into this a bit more, that say JP Morgan in 2016 had 8.8. Now they've got 9.81. Deutsche Bank had 7.9, they've now got 8.41. City had 12.9, but it's now gone down to 7.87. XDX absolutely smashing the markets at 3.9, now has 7.2. UBS having 8.8, now having 6.63. It was quite interesting how, how money's moved around the markets. Now, is this because... Is, is the market getting bigger or is, or is it their, their volumes? It's quite an interesting thing to look in that. I will look into that more. Now, retail in the market make up for around 4 to 5% of the entire market. So, large institutions are still getting the biggest slice of the cake. And that's one hell of a large cake. Now, I put a story on my Instagram the other day comparing the, the NASDAQ to the Forex market. Now, if the Nasdaq had, say, two blocks, right, that's their percentage represented in two blocks, then Forex would have 20 more blocks than the Nasdaq, which is pretty crazy. Um, so you, you can understand the size of it. That's that's pretty big, isn't it? Compared to, And even compared to the stock market and the futures market, you know, they're minuscule things compared to the Forex market. You're talking billions and millions against trillions. Very, very big market. And one of the things people do is trying to get to the bottom of how the institutions trade. And that's something that's the most closely guarded secret in the world. These guys are paid more than people that work at friggin' NASA. You know, these, these highly paid individuals at work. The quants, the coders, the analysts, the traders. You know, the people that, that program the, the different types of algorithms. It, it's... A very competitive market for them. And for us to try and compete with them when there's companies that are worth billions competing with each other, it'd be very stupid for us to waste our time to find out how they trade. We just need to know why they trade and when they are trading, which is the problem with SMC theories. A lot of them thinks that there is the, the market maker that's going to send price one direction or another. Now, I'm not saying, saying the theory doesn't work. It's just the facts of the theory is wrong. But... You could, say, be looking for a stop hunt. You don't know what you're trading. You're calling it a stop hunt. And it could work for you. But you've just got the the description of what's happening is wrong. So I'm not saying you can't follow these things. But it's quite interesting to understand how it actually works. Due, due to the nature of the market. And also the, 
shifts that can happen in the market as well because things are moving towards more automated and algorithmic compared to back in the 80s so it's very different now if retail account for five percent of the market why really why would they really want to spend millions and billions sending price up to an area to knock just two percent out of the market because the whole five percent isn't going to be trading at the same time is it really i'd say it's about two to three percent that's going to be in the market at one point and even like you're talking on a single pair as well so you know that is probably very minuscule in it even if you take euro usd which on the on the on the micro scale yes the algorithms probably do look to knock out scalpers and stuff like that because they're working on a micro scale anyway but you got to think that they're not after retail they're after other institutions they're after li just liquidity that's that's there and say if you need to get rid of a load of orders you're going to wait till the best price and these algorithms are programmed to execute an order at the best price and they can pump millions into the market and even billions without even moving it you won't even know it's happened and because they have that power we, sh we shouldn't go against them we should learn the, the actual nature of the market and trying to trade that way because it's just crazy going against them now the, the worth of the entire global forex trading market is estimated to be around 2.4 quad trillion which is about 2409 trillion that's massive and to even think about this number is, is, is nuts. You're talking about currency. You're talking about the whole world. Why do people think that the, the market maker is after retail? It's just an absolute bizarre thing to think about. And if you listen to this and you do think that, I hope you know this can change your mind. They really don't care about retail. <laughs> you know, it's a massive market. And if you work out, say, you know, the trillions, you work at like the retail percentage per pair what it would be you know it's in the millions not in the billions and trillions like is there's over 170 currencies that are traded in the global forex market so how do the bfis and institutions trade now you have two types well two main types of institutions you have commercial hedges and you have kind of just standard i guess the, the, i don't know the actual technical terms but you got like standard position um, institutions and sometimes if you look at certain instruments you can see that it's almost like they're, they're swapping orders because they will literally follow each other because you can see from the futures market and you'll see that a lot of the time the commercials and the large speculators are in sync with each other price is going down the hedges are going to be buying all of that up i mean think think for a moment during covid who was buying when everybody was selling there has to be a seller in the market so who was buying if there's a market crash so surely there's no going to be somebody sitting there thinking it's a great idea to to sell you know because if you think about it somebody has to lose somewhere there you know what i mean and yeah the probably people say panic selling panic selling their um their lots in 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 drawdown fair enough but the sheer volume that was being sold people panicking there has to be a buyer and these banks have deep pockets to be able to sit through a lot of drawdown and also they've got complex trades going on where they've got that many you know that it's not like oh they're down 
on that currency. You know, they're, they're down and up over probably all of them. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised if they've got the fingers in all the pies. Okay, so if they're trading, you know, they can't. They might be swapping. They seem so in sync when you look at a lot of the um, a lot of the banks and big players. They seem in sync. So it seems like the hedges are selling to the, you know, the position traders or whatever. But how are they actually doing this? And they do it on the interbank market. And as it, the name suggests, the interbank market is a market where the foreign currency is traded between large privately held banks. So. The interbank market is what people refer to when talking about the currency market and the banks and stuff like that, and it's built. It's built between. Um, I think it's. I think it's over one million dollars they have to have, but not many people trade that. It's normally like past like hundreds of millions, but it's kind of for players that are above one million. And it's not saying if you're a retail guy, you know, and you've got a million, you're going to be part of the interbank. But you know, it, it, there's there's different levels to it. And one of the most interesting things about the interbank market is that a lot of these banks um, that are transacting between each other can't get fulfilled straight away. So there's almost like a a credit agreement. Now, I'm not too sure if there's like a middleman for this, but I know there's like a credit agreement that happens between them two. And I know that a lot of them use this thing called SWIFT, which is the Society for Worldwide, Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. And that enables them to send and receive information regarding their financial transactions in a safe, proven, and reliable way. So it's a VIP market. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't have access to this. We don't see this. The only clues we can have is in the data that happens afterwards. And the futures market is the two things that give us a clue about what's going on. You don't have to use them, but it's just a way when you're researching this kind of thing to find out, you know, what what's kind of going on. And even then, it's still hard. <laughs> Now, the interbank market is the predominant influence on the exchange rates around the world in the short term. And like I said, these transactions take a long time. I think they take around about two days to settle um, with a few exceptions. So because of that, you have that credit agreement between companies and banks and stuff like that. And it helps bring the trades to fruition. But also that might be the reason why they can build up positions without moving the market. Because imagine, you know, the They'll give you credit, they'll put the trade through for you, so you're done, you're gone. And then they can spend their time working on that trade in the background. Now, you've got to think that what's what's going to move the Forex market? Now, it's not fat cats sit there looking at trend lines. You've got to imagine if you're a big company like Alibaba and you need to go and buy some stock in US, you're going to need some US dollars, so you're going to have to change your yen for US dollars. That currency exchange is going to influence the market. So if you need to do that, what do you go to? You go to the interbank, you go to the central banks or whatever. You go, you go to people that hold that volume. Now, the interbank market can be broken into four main components. One of them being SWIFT, which I mentioned earlier. Then you've got the swap trades, which is a combination between spot and forward. Spot is where the, um, the transaction is made for the currency um, at the exact price and exact time of the trade. You've got the forward market, which is an agreement to exchange currency at an agreed future date and price, um, which is the reason why things like supply and demand work, if you think about it, because some some people might be waiting for a particular price. There might be a contract in place between companies where, you know, we'll exchange this money at this price 
and yada yada and swap traders between the both it's when the banker buys the currency at the spot market current price and then sells the equivalent amount in the forward market at the future date and price so very interesting it's a vip market we don't have access to it but it's very important to understand how this works to understand the nature of the markets so now we know that how can we apply this to our trading we know that things like profit taken and currency exchange is going to create swing points in the market and volatile times and think about spread and stuff like that what's going to happen during news it's going to be a good time for them to unload positions or offload positions and also catch a lot of smaller institutions and yes retail will be in that mix as well and and you know profit quickly off that because you've got a million orders to fill a million lots you're going to drive the price up as you're doing it so a chance to hit an area of liquidity like that to get it fulfilled very quickly is a bonus for the banks. So if you think if you've got the hedges and the position um, the position traders, think none of them are really going to get hurt too much if they're working in sync with each other. Does that make sense? And that's just a theory. That's not a fact. But if you think about it, if they're hedging, they can buy and go in drawdown because they've got deep pockets to wait for it to go back into profit. And then the guys that are buying, they can then profit off that trend and then sell that position. If you think about it. Very interesting. So back to some facts that the FX market is the largest and most liquid asset on earth. And although it's been crazy times in the economy, the FX market hasn't slowed down at all and it hasn't become sluggish. And forecasts actually say that it could have a growth rate of 6% in the next five years. That's massive. You know, people think, oh, COVID, the economy, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect the Forex market or the stock market. It doesn't work like that. You know, a lot of the times, as you've seen with COVID itself, when everything seemed like it was damned, the market was inflating and going crazy. And some statistics that's quite interesting as well to know is that, yeah, we know about the 90%, 90 days, blah, 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 blah. But only about 15% of Forex traders make profit. Now, they say that, you know, this amount of traders fail, but 15% of Forex traders make a profit. So what does that tell you if, say, the brokers will say around about 75% of people lose money, 15% of them make a profit, and only about 1% to 2% are consistent over time. So that means a lot of traders actually know how to make profit. And I've got another statistic for you as well. And we'll discuss in this in another podcast episode. But there was some data done. And it actually found out that 50% of traders, I think it was actually 56% of traders, their trades actually go into profit. I think it was 70% of the time. That is crazy. So most traders know how to make money. And in one of the upcoming episodes, I'm going to expose this. And how I'm going to show you this is that most traders know a strategy and the problem is not their strategy. And we're going to put this against, I think it was 10,000 traders that was tested. And we're going to go on Excel and create an algorithm that's going to test a strategy that we get off YouTube against, let's say, 20,000 randomized trades through a little algorithm thing that somebody made for me pretty cool and I can't wait to dive deep into that so if 15% of traders can make a profit well did you know that 45% of traders spend one to two hours a day trading while only 
spend more than six hours a day. And 31% of traders have been trading for less than a year. And 39% have been trading for one to three years. And traders that have been trading for up to 10 years account for 23%. And whilst those that have been trading for over a decade account for 7%. Now, people that are making a good profit, they're going to stay in the market, aren't they? They're going to give it up. And they account for 7%. So that's 7%, these guys are doing it for a career. And yet, some of the ones in the 10 years, you know, they might retire or whatever, but... The way I see it, that if 7% stay over 10 years, these are the serious guys that know what they're doing and that built a career out of this. So the most platform is MT4. It's used by 85% of traders and MT5, which is used by 6% of traders. And 70% of all traders use a live account. 30% are using demo accounts. And 72% of Forex traders have no prior experience in trading in other markets. And there are approximately 10 million retail Forex traders in the world today. And out of those 10 million, 3.2 are in Asia and 1.5 are in Europe and North America. There are also 1.3 traders in Africa, 1.3 million traders in Africa, which and almost a million in the Middle East. In South America and Central America, there's around 335,000, and Oceania has 190,000. As for specific countries, the UK has a hub of Forex trading, is the leader in, in, in this, and it has around about 280,000 online traders in the UK. So pretty serious stuff. I'm going to bring you some more stats in the next episode. I want to read them all out now, but <laughs> I can't. I need to save them for the other episodes. So if you like this one, thank you, and please give me some feedback on the podcast. And as you guys know, this is a brand new project that I'm doing and I don't want to script it. I don't want to. I don't want to make it too professional. I like having this free-flowing podcast that's nice and easy. And yeah, I've got my notes in front of me and the stats that I've got, and a few little things to read out, which you can probably tell when I'm reading stuff out. But I don't want to script it. I want it to be raw because at the end of the day, we're reading research. We're going through stuff together. And from this, like I say, we've got the community that we're just building, free community. And also, I want to do some like live podcast episodes where we get some people in and talk to them. And I've got some guests. We're doing some mindfulness stuff. And loads of things planned for this anyway. I want to really make this a very unique podcast where we talk about things that no other trading podcast or channel talks about. And it, already we've touched on some things that aren't, that aren't spoken about. And the reason why this kind of information is not what people want to focus on. They want strategy. Give me strategy. Give me, give me a, a, you know give me the trend line thing and blah, blah, blah. And it shouldn't be like that. Let's understand the nature of the markets. Let's understand the mind of traders. Why do so many fail? What do that 7% know that I've been doing it for 10 years? What do they know? And why don't we know that? That's what you need to look at. Understand this. It's such a big market. We just want to extract a tiny bit of that profit to change our lives. That's all we need to do. So, I hope you've learned something from this. And like I always say, how can you apply this to your trading? Start learning the nature of the markets and, and the psychology of traders and what you need to work on. If so many fail, there's, there's, it's not because of the information out there. It can't be. I mean, that does play a part. And it can't be 
the brokers fought something like that. It has to be something within our natural nature that might be influenced by the modern world. It might be influenced by the primitive mind, but it can't be the information out there. There's a lot of misinformation, but so many of the same mistakes are done. And I know everybody goes to the internet to learn how to do it, but surely there has to be some instinct in people that would say, no, this is wrong. Do you know what I mean? If, if it really was the information. I believe that plays a massive part. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that that misinformation is not the issue. It's deeper than that. Why is that misinformation there in the first place? Because of the the influence that we have. Something's influencing. I don't know what it is. And I plan to get to the bottom of it. But thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.